This is the Plucked Chicken Podcast. Pastor Bruss, I think today is a good day to pick on some low-hanging fruit. You know, it's very interesting how just really within my lifetime, the story of David and Goliath has taken on a whole new meaning. Instead of it being about David's faith in God and then taking on this great enemy of both God and Israel, the giant has been turned into whatever trouble you may be having, whatever issue that you might be facing that is difficult for you, and then how to go about dealing with it. And so this is a very common thing. Actually, I'd like to listen to two pastors, one who just shows his cards at the very beginning saying what he's going to do, and then we'll get into listening to an entire sermon delivered by a guy who is teaching his congregation how to defeat the Goliaths in their life. I've tried to look at this passage kind of from a different angle, and this is maybe more of the traditional way that we look at this particular passage, and that's what I want to talk to you about today is how to kill a giant. A giant is anything in your life that kind of dominates you or dominates your thinking, or you look at this situation and you say, man, I could not overcome this, or I cannot get the victory over this. And really what this passage lines up for us at the end of this passage is how to kill a giant. So all of us deal with giants. All of us deal with issues. Maybe your giant uh, deals somewhat with with relational. Maybe your giant is uh, tied to money. Maybe it's tied to your health. Uh, I don't know what your giant is. I don't know what it is in your life that looks unconquerable or there's no way that I can get the victory over this. Maybe you have an addiction uh, something that you're struggling with that you can't seem to get the victory over. This this sermon is for all of us that are dealing with these particular issues. So this strikes me as moralistic, therapeutic deism. Yeah, or narcissistic eisegesis. That's a great way to talk about it, right? Everything that was written is written about me. And actually, that's not an incorrect thing in a sense, right? It, the scriptures are written for our learning. Uh, St. Paul tells us this in, in Romans chapter 15, right? That, that all these things are written for our benefit. And there are plenty of metaphors in the scriptures. Correct. But you let the Holy Spirit make the metaphor instead of us coming along making the metaphor really about us. Right. And and so why would you say, from your perspective, why can't we understand Goliath metaphorically? Because it destroys the Christological image in that story. Okay, number one. So, so David as a type of Christ, Goliath as a type of devil. Two, wouldn't you say that we are not allowed to take history and riff on it and make metaphors out of it? Now, this the thing that's going to shock our listeners about this is that this is the game that was played by the medieval schoolmen, right, with their four senses of Scripture. Uh, where you you had um, you know a literal sense this is what actually happened, uh, but finally they would come to this so-called allegorical sense, and this was always the the kind of spiritual application or something deeper uh, meaning, right? Very esoteric, if I'm not mistaken. Correct, and it was and like uh, the initiated only were the ones who get who got to receive to the allegor- yeah, yeah, the allegorical meaning, and they were the only ones who could really get it. Yeah, uh, so, so yeah, you, because you could they say, were in the driver's seat; they were the ones right. coming up with it. Right. And what that does is it it turns scripture into a blank canvas. 
on which you can paint whatever you would like to paint. And it, it, this is very, number one, very medieval and Catholic in the sense of what Luther's uh, revolt against Catholicism was about. And on the other hand, is it not, I mean, doesn't it strike you as very postmodern? In that you get to make it up as you go along? This is a plastic text, mm-hmm. right? It's filled with no meaning except whatever meaning you, as the reader, bring to it. And that's a scary thing. And, and as you point out, uh, you know, back to your, your very first point, when you go in that direction, you rob it entirely of its Christological, typological value. Which is a much more profound picture when, when you see David as a typology of Jesus. Right, Christ is David's greater son. Right. right. I mean, the scriptures tell us this. This is the, that is the key. For That's the interpretive key. Exactly. You know, if Scriptura you want to... Scriptura right? Right. If you wanted to look for yourself in the story of David and Goliath, you and I would be the scared army of Israel. Cowering on the sidelines saying, what is this little boy doing, right? Right. Is and it, look how big that, that giant is. Right. I'm not touching him. Let's go on with this. This is just wonderful. David can take on a giant. The, the suffering uh, servant can take on Satan and win. you got to be kidding me. Yeah. I'm thinking of Christus Victor, how you would never think that the lamb could overcome the great dragon as he's pictured in Revelation. That could never happen, but yet it does. Right, and this is the foolishness, right, that St. Paul talks about, the foolishness of the cross in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2. And along with that, how God rarely does what you think he's going to do. It's like the opposite. It's a reversal. Correct. And you see that all over the scriptures. Right. Right. The other thing that gets missed here, just to press your point a little bit further, is who's doing the doing and who's he doing it for? So this is Christus extra nos, uh, Christ uh, outside of us, uh, doing it on the outside of us, for us, pro nobis. All of this is, is radically against the analogy of the faith as has been confessed by faithful Christians for millennia. What you and I have said in the last just few minutes together, that is such a greater story and a more beautiful picture of the scriptures and what God has communicated rather than making it about whatever issues that are difficulties in my life and how to overcome them. Isn't that trivializing? to do it that way, uh, to make it about my little pet issues. What, am I going to cut my mother-in-law's head off? (laughs) (laughs) Depends on how you like your mother-in-law. No, but if if you look at the fact where uh, Genesis 3, 15, where you're going to crush his head, and David goes and he does just that, but yet I'm supposed to turn around and cut off the head of my credit card bill right that's hanging over me isn't that it cheapens what the lord says and it fails to reckon with the true enemy of all christians which is uh, satan well i just wanted to to show you how this is a very common interpretation of david and goliath i mean it it preaches well you know i mean if what is the line for the newspaper if it bleeds it leads i mean this this leads as opposed to what you and I have been talking about. Be- because it's felt needs, right? Correct. Right. And, and you know, the confessions talk about this, that the, the depth of human sin is so great that it cannot be known unless it's revealed to us. 
uh, by the scriptures and by the Holy Spirit. Uh, specifically by the law, wouldn't you say? Through the law, mm-hmm. through the law. It, it simply cannot be revealed. And you got to read Romans chapter 7 mm-hmm. to understand the pickle that every single person uh, in the world is in. That is our enemy. And it's uh, at the behest of, of Satan, who is the, the great deceiver. And so to me, uh, right, I mean, your mother-in-law does not bring about your death and your eternal death. Your credit card bill does not bring about your death and your eternal death. Sin does. And this is what Christ came into the world to deal with. Well, we're going to listen to another pastor who— Oh, great. (laughs) Unfortunately, it doesn't get much better. Actually, it gets, in my opinion, a little bit more confusing— We've talked about the ways in which pastors manipulate people, most times like unwittingly. This guy, you'll, you'll sense he, he's wanting to get the congregation to agree with him. And so you think, you think this is a more intentional manipulation or something like that? I don't know, uh, but see if you can pick up on it. I will. Just so grateful. I'm just so humbled and thankful for what God's doing in our midst. And I mean, I believe that. I, 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 that's not just pastor speak. I really believe God's up to something special in your life and in our church and in our city. Come on, if you're, if you're willing to believe that with me, come on, let me hear from you. God's doing something. God's doing something. I'm just so grateful. Turn in your Bibles, if you have it, to 1 Samuel 17. Turn or click over to 1 Samuel 17. And going to pick up in this passage, David and Goliath. Come on, who's familiar with the story of David and Goliath? And we're going to have some kind of, it's kind of going to be like some old-fashioned Sunday school up in here this morning. Just kind of go through a Bible story and then just see what God has to speak to you and me. Amen? Amen, Pastor Bros. I, I, I really do not enjoy that. Is it like uh, evangelical pastor throat clearing? Is that what that is, basically? Exactly. I don't know what, what else to say, so I'm just going to punctuate it with this amen. Mm-hmm. That's silliness. But what he was saying before that about something about how we're going to read the scriptures, and if I'm not mistaken, I mean, kudos to this pastor for reading. I mean, he will read a large chunk, whereas today's pastor doesn't do that. He'll summarize it. So he's going to read a large chunk of Scripture, but then he said something about, then we'll see what, what God, God wants to say to us? Right. Isn't that strange? So as if, as if what God wants to say to us is different from what we're reading in the Scriptures. Right. And see, this is what we've talked about before, in that for the evangelical, you remember that picture I sent you uh, last week of a church uh, oh, yes. in town? Yeah, yeah. Yep. That was in town yep. that said, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Right. And so the idea is that we've talked about before is how the Holy Spirit is divorced from both word of God and sacrament. So and sermon. Right, mm-hmm. and sermon. Mm-hmm. Do you do you hear that? I I totally detected it as it, as if something uh, there there are two parallel things happening. One is that the word the inscripturated word of God is being read, but then God's going to talk at some sort of different level and yeah, I I totally heard it. So I think now he'll get into the text, and so we get to follow along. Okay. And uh, so just bear with me. We're going to read practically the whole story and then just kind of back in. I just believe the Lord's highlighted some things. That's it right there. The highlighted portion is 
I mean, look, you don't highlight everything when you're reading. There's just certain points that stand out that you highlight. And so what he's saying, in a sense, maybe I'm wrong, but it's like the highlighted portion is the part that God wants to communicate with you and teach you. But the other part, the part that I skip over, i.e. as the preacher, eh, we don't need to be worried about that. Well, I believe that the Lord has highlighted some things. What Did the Lord come with his highlighter and say, now look, you know, preach on this. This is the thing that... This is just a weird method of procedure, and I, if I were listening to this, and I, I, I would be very skeptical of what he's he is saying. But you know, it's interesting how the text actually for this coming Sunday is about oh, Jesus oh. saying, "Beware of the false prophets." Yeah, be yeah. To a certain degree, just right here at the very beginning, I would hope that people's flag is going up. Good. And, you know, this is how false prophets operate, isn't it? Uh, In Jeremiah, they run around and say, this is what the Lord said. Peace, Uh, peace. Right. Or they, doesn't it say in Jeremiah about their dreams? They speak their dreams. But there are places uh, in the Old Testament where you have these false prophets come in and they say, look, this is what the Lord told me. So they, they claim that there's this divine revelation. Now, the problem here is that we've got what the Lord actually did say, the inscripturated word of God, and now we've got things that the Lord is highlighting for us. I, I've already pointed this out, but Romans 15, uh, verse 4, this is, this is a, a very important thing. Uh, he, hear how Paul says this. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope doesn't say the highlighted portions of the text. <laughs> and I think this is important. And what do you do with the Second Timothy passage where it says all Scripture is breathed out by God? Right, and that's distributive. Each and every Scripture is breathed out by God. Not the highlighted portions. Correct. That that's, you get to choose. That's very interesting. To speak to you this morning and encourage you with and challenge you with and remind you about and that God wants to reveal some things to you through his word this morning. Come on, would you just begin to allow your heart to be filled with expectation for what God wants to speak and do in your life this morning? We're, we're here to do so much more than just sing a few songs and have a good message, hopefully a good message. We're here to encounter the living God. We're here to present ourselves as his people. We're here to receive from his heart what he has in mind, what he has in store for you and for me. Amen. So are, are you there? First Samuel chapter 17 they're, they're about midway through your, your Old Testament there, and, and just hang with me. I'm reading in the New Living Translation, and they'll put it up behind me here if you don't have your Bible handy. And it says in verse 1, The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Soko and Judah and Azekah and Ephes-Demim. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the Valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. Come on, that's tall, y'all. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam. I don't know what that is, but as big, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood, and he shouted a taunt, a, a taunt across to the Israelites. 
Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and to fight me, and if he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and they were deeply shaken. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephratite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And Jesse was an old man at that time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemaiah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. And David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army. But David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, every morning, every evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. And one day, Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and take these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. And give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain and see how your brothers are getting along. And bring back a report on how they're doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. And so David left the sheep with another shepherd. And set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. And he arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and with battle cries. And, and soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing one another, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and he hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. And as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. And David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and he'll give the man's entire family exemption from paying taxes. And David asked the soldier standing by, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply, and they said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. And he said, what are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and, I, and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's, he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. And when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I've done this to both lions and to bears, and I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me, who rescued me from the claws of the, of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. And Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord 
be with you. Then, da- then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail, and David put it on and strapped a sword over it, took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. And he said, I can't go in these things, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream, and he put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed with only his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out towards David with the shield bearer ahead of him and sneering in contempt at the ruddy-faced boy. He said, am I a dog? He roared at David, that you have come at me with a stick. And he cursed David by the names of his gods. And he said, come over here. I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And David replied to the Philistine, you come at me with sword, spear, and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you. And I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. He will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David ran quickly out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling, and he hit the Philistine in the forehead. And the stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled, and he fell down, face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and only a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's own sword from his sheath and used it to kill him and cut off his head. And the courage of one man brought courage to an entire army, and the victory was the Lord's that day. Amen. Again, kudos to this pastor for reading this entire story. That is so rare. However, he gets to the very end, and the tagline that he wants to put on the entire thing has to do with David's courage. It has to do with David's faith, just like the 12 spies that went into the land way back in the days of Moses. It wasn't Caleb and Joshua's courage to go in and yet again fight against the giants. It was their faith in God. Turning it into something about courage, I don't know, it just strikes me as odd. It strikes me as odd too. And as you point out, this is the first thing out of his mouth when he gets done reading the story. Right. The other thing that it's that it is about is is about how God deals with his enemies. That's a sort of a refrain through the entire story. How dare you defy the armies of the God of Israel? And wouldn't you say that there is a tertiary meaning here in how God uses means in that here's the enemies of God, the Philistines, God is going to use Israel to judge them. But then when Israel turns their back on God, he's actually going to, at times, use the Philistines to come back at them, to come back and judge Israel. Yeah. And he also uses David. You know, kids often talk about this. It's it's sort of an interesting thing. Why could God have not just flipped the switch or changed his mind about condemning the world? Could he have saved us that way? The answer is, yeah, he could have, but he didn't. What he did here is he used a a shepherd boy. Could he have smitten Goliath all by himself with a bolt of lightning from the sky? He didn't even need a bolt of lightning from the sky. He could have just withheld his word from him for a moment, and he lost his breath, and that was the end of it. In the same way, you know, asking the question, why did the Son of God have to take on human flesh? Well, that's asking the wrong question. Why did he have to do it? Because that's how God did it. Uh, But God uses means to save. 
Come on, would you join me in prayer? Just ask the Lord to just speak to us this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for that what you've done in previous days and previous seasons in the life of your people, you'll do again today for us as your people. We're, we're gathered here as the people of God, people of faith. And, Lord, we thank you that the challenges that we're up against, Lord, you'll see us through. We thank you that the battle would be yours and that today you would show us and reveal to us and remind, to us, remind us, God, of some ways that you desire to move on our behalf. Show us the steps that we can take, God. Show us how to be faithful to you, that we might be in a position, Lord, that you can in our lives, Lord, with the lions and with the bears and with the giants that we're up against, that you might deliver us to a victory that would, that would bring you glory and bring courage to those around us. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's precious people said, amen, amen, amen. Come on, I believe that this is a season of growing in the Lord. I believe that this is a season. The Lord spoke to me as we were approaching 2018. He said, it's a season of drawing near, growing close, and going deep. <laughs> this is the Lord as advertising executive, right? <laughs> he really is into um, sound bites, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yeah, this is the, the famous advertiser's tricolon. And ad exec could not have done a better job. The Lord was really on his toes that day when he said that to him. Sure. He? Yeah. He already showed his cards in the prayer, you know, Lord, help us against our lions and our bears and our tigers. Oh, my. Oh, oh my. Yeah. Our lions and our bears and our giants. And then coming out of the prayer, he tells the people that he received a direct download from God at the beginning of the year. Of 2018. Yeah. And what the year would entail. But a lot of the evangelical ilk will have their word for the year. So they come up with a new word that God has given to them. We could probably pull together 50 churches that the Lord has led said pastor to hone in on these words. And all of these words are strive, energize, revitalize. I mean, it's, it's not be humble. Mm-hmm. It's not... Grow in grace in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or it's not um, repent. You know, it's They're not all, biblical words, in other words, or biblical concepts. Or, uh, or words that deal with contrition. Mm-hmm. Well, they're very exciting, uh, number one. Number two, uh, isn't it predicated upon a theology of progress? You know, there is, that's a very unrealistic uh, theology. And uh, as you've pointed out many times before, the only direction that can lead you in or the only thing it can turn you in into is a person who is despairing utterly despairing because you're not making the progress or a pharisee and i rather believe that in most instances it's it's pharisaism yeah and you mix law in with gospel and so the gospel's not a comfort to you anymore at all so what do you think about the direct download of this pastor who got this marketable sayings here at the beginning of the year i've got a very just a curious question, and maybe you can help me out with this. You said it's pretty pervasive in the evangelical world. It is. Are there books that say that this is how you do it? Well, I am thinking of one. It's. I think the title is called One Word, mm-hmm. and it is written by Mike Ashcraft. And he was in Wilmington mm-hmm. when I was there. Mm-hmm. And so not only would he have a word from God for the church, but he would, of course, encourage the people in the congregation to have their own one word. See, yet again... It's kind of like the New Year's resolution for the church. Right, right. Mm -hmm. 
So we don't deal with God's Word. We get, as mystics, we push that aside and look for some other word. And get a, yeah, the direct download, which turns out to be uh, something that simply maps over popular culture and, and America, uh, really American culture. If, you, if you're saying this is thrive and strive and all this sort of stuff, that's, that's young man, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of, kind of talk. And I can see how this would be super appealing to an American audience, right? Who doesn't sort of get teary-eyed at the Star Spangled Banner and thinking about all the good things that he's doing in, in America. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But here's the thing. You know, is it wrong to have a theme for a year or something like that in no, a congregation? But, absolutely not. No. But, but here's the thing. It's not a direct download from, from the Lord. Right. And if the idea is to do something like uh, grow deeper in the Word, right, or sink yourselves into the Word or wh- whatever it might be, all this is is an elaboration and application of the third commandment. Yeah, but they're not going to say, hold it sacred, gladly hear it, and learn it. That's not cool. Well, you know, I... That's not marketable. You can't put that on a t-shirt. Not like what this guy said that the Lord told him. No, this is way better. This is way better. This th- this could be a company slogan, man. What the Lord told this guy? Yeah, oh yeah. I've only listened to a couple of his sermons, but I'm sure he has dropped this line many, many times. Mm-hmm. This is the theme driving mm-hmm. the whole year. And it's wherever you are, wherever you have been. Listen, if, I'm, if you're here this morning and you're seeking after God, if you're here this morning and you're a relatively new believer, if you've served the Lord for many years, I'm encouraging you today. It's a time of taking steps. It's a time of moving forward. It's a time of drawing near and growing close and going deep in God. It's a time to know it's a time to trust. It's a time to follow Jesus more than you ever have before. What does this have to do with the text? He spent all this time reading the text. We were very grateful for it. But now... Now, now we're going to focus on the church's annual slogan here. Right? I guess. Yeah. Is I, it because I, he's not prepared? And he's, he's looking he's for filler? looking for filler. That could be. Or it's just, uh, you know, there's a preoccupation with the annual theme. I'm not sure what it is, what's driving this. But, but here's the thing. All of these things are, uh, in a sense, good things. We might not say them the, the, the exact same way that he is. Mm-hmm. But does one not want a better understanding of the Lord and his works and his ways and his word? I would hope. Absolutely, right? I don't understand why this year is the year or right now is the time. Uh, it, it's always the time. It's a time to be in the word of God and in the presence of God and gathered with the people of God in such a way that we become more aware of and not just aware of, but convinced of our identity and our authority in Christ Jesus. Listen, let me just encourage you with something this morning. I believe that God's called every one of us to be giant killers for the kingdom of of Jesus Christ. Well, there it is out in the open and Pastor Bruss, he believes it. He believes it. Uh, and I think that's an interesting way to put it, right? I believe that everyone has been called to be giant slayers for the Lord Jesus Christ. He cannot point to a single scripture that drives that utterance. Where, where would this be said in, in the scripture? Nowhere. It's in his vain imagination. It is. And and he has completely, I mean, this is the wickedness that, that we sort of observed early on, the flip-flopping of what this whole text is about. Uh, is that Christ has done this for you. And now, what is he doing? He's turning, trying to turn us into mini-saviors? I, I don't Saviors of ourselves? I no, have no idea. What? No, it has to do with you now doing something for God. 
Remember that uh, Latin phrase, I believe, that you... Do ut des, I give so that you will give? Right. Yep. So it's the idea of God has done this for us, so now we got to go out and kill, slay giants? Yeah, I don't... I don't get... I'm glad you called it wickedness, because here's my contention. What you and I are advocating for is orthodoxy. And we're fighting for orthodoxy and fighting against heterodoxy and heresy all the time. In our own lives and things that we hear, all of this. Our sinfulness is to be repulsed or repelled away from orthodoxy. Our new man, it longs for that. It, it wants to believe, teach, and confess it, live it all of our lives, go to our graves believing it. Our old man, not so much. So when we hear heterodoxy, which is, you know, it's, it's not straight, it's, it's bent, it's crooked. This is where Paul talks about uh, ravenous wolves speaking twisted things. So when we hear twisted things, I think the mindset is to say, well, that's not bad. It's, it's not going to hurt it's me. It's pious Jesus talk. Or to think that this pastor is not a ravenous wolf. And he is. Indeed, indeed. And the unflattering things that the scriptures talk about uh, guys like this, you know, Romans, again, Romans 16, 17, if I may, uh, is just a wonderful passage. Uh, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. You hear a false prophet, what are you supposed to do? Avoid them. Avoid them. Now, this is how he goes on. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. And this is uh, exactly what's going on. And it is very uh, difficult, I'm sure, for hearers to hear this, uh, that, that this nice man, he's probably a nice guy. Oh, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. But Paul doesn't say some of these guys are uh, serving their own appetites. He says that whenever you teach heterodoxy, you are serving your own appetites. You know, if you just think about the situation a little bit, you can understand how this is going on. Why teach the heterodoxy? Well, it's because I don't want to have a 120-person parish. I want to have my, I want to be adding on and blowing the doors off this place. And so who's, who is that serving? When you depart from the Word of God, it is not serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It is serving you and your own ego. That's what Paul's talking about, and that's what's scary about this stuff. See these people for what they are. And I think this is the beauty of this podcast and podcasts like it. Not that we're saying that this pastor wears combat boots and his mama looks funny. It's that we're trying to set that which is orthodox beside that which is heterodox so one can actually, in this case, hear they can hear the difference and begin to understand that what they want in their life is orthodoxy and not just to put up with, well, it, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. They, even though it's bent, I'll live with it. Right. This is a, a point that I've been thinking about for the sermon this Sunday. We spend more time analyzing, critiquing, and evaluating the straightness of the lumber that we will use for our projects 
more than what is actually taught, examining, critiquing, being judgmental, so to speak, of what is taught. I mean, we wouldn't use bowed two-by-fours for our decking, but yet we will build our very lives upon— Our eternal life. Eternal life upon bowed teaching, twisted teaching? It's the old Adam. It's the old Adam. All of this stuff tickles tickles the ears of the old Adam, and he loves it. I mean, what does the old Adam want more than anything? He wants to stand before God and say, hey, Lord, look what I've done for you, right? Let me in. Whereas, uh, and he must be slain. This is what must happen through God's law. And uh, he must be shown that he is completely incapable of this sort of stuff. And so it, it feeds the old Adam. And for that reason, it is very, very wicked. It gives the old Adam the upper hand. And, you know, Luther points this out so often. You know, you hear hear it in the Heidelberg Theses and you hear it elsewhere, that what appears to be uh, the most righteous and godly kind of thing Mm -hmm. is actually the most demonic kind of thing. So these preachers play right into this. They, They get the old Adam where he looks his angelic best, but he's actually running headlong to hell. You know, this is so interesting. When you put what you just said into the context of eschatology, I was born and raised and reared on the Antichrist coming back, and you you think through all of these ways in which those scenarios might play out. The last place that you would look for the great apostasy is within the church. And what you're pointing out here, the great apostasy is within the church. It's not on the outside of the church, no, i.e. aliens, i.e. something. Barack Obama, Donald right, Trump. Right, right, right. Yeah, no. It's from within. Well, and this is this is exactly all of the all of the antichrist stuff is is pointed not outside. It's pointed inside. Islam is not the Antichrist. Judaism is not the Antichrist. Buddhism is not the Antichrist. The Antichrist is in the church. That's scary. And that's why you have to have good ears. Ears tuned to orthodoxy. Ears that listen to the pattern. Know the pattern of sound words and discern. But if you're going to be a giant killer, you're going to have to know your identity. If you're going to be a giant killer, you're going to have to know your identity in Christ. Listen, David had been anointed of God for a purpose and for a future, and he knew this. And you need to hear this this morning. As a believer in Christ Jesus, you have access to the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the authority of Jesus Christ. You've got to understand the identity that you have so that you can do and become the thing that God's called you to do and be. Wow. This is muddled beyond belief, is it not? This idea of becoming something else, uh, that you are the one in the driver's seat doing this and not the two words of God, his law and his gospel doing this. I mean, think about how Luther talks about this in the sacrament of, of baptism. You know, what does such baptizing with water indicate? It indicates that the old Adamists should, by daily contrition and repentance, be drowned and die with all sins and evil lusts, and that a new man should daily emerge and rise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. So... What are you becoming? Well, that's it, uh, in, at least in this earthly life. There's this dying to sin and rising to, to righteousness. Now, where is that righteousness found? In Christ. It's a given righteousness. It's a Lent righteousness. 
But I think, is he not going in a totally different direction? This is like, you know, look, you might, your car sales might be slumping this month, but the Lord Jesus, he doesn't want that for you. He wants you to slay that, your, your, uh, deficit, slay yeah. that deficit, right. that giant in your life. Right. You know, to me, it's like a Dr. Frankenstein putting, putting the, uh, the battery, uh, charger, so to speak on your old Adam going, it's alive. He's alive. He's alive. Yeah, right. And he's you all know. stitched together. <laughs> right. And he, and he, he comes goes, to life. Comes out on the stage. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, we we want your old Adam to be revitalized. To be revved up. To Ooh, be revved up, yes. Yeah, rev up the old Adam. Which uh which is the name of this church, incidentally. Rev City. Rev City. That and I, I think he actually talks about it in this sermon here a little I bit. I can't wait to hear that. So but you know, what does the Lord want us to become? It, right he's talking about this sort of transformational stuff and and this is very upsetting and misleading for Christians uh, because the Lord wants you to be whom he has created you to be okay so are you a are you a dad pastor Kearns yes okay are you a husband of course are you a pastor yes okay uh, I'm does, also a brother and you're a brother are you a son I am uh-huh are you an employee I am yeah and are you a teacher I am okay so all these things, this is what the Lord has made you. What is your job now in respect to that? Are you supposed to become something different? No. All you're supposed to do is live out the Ten Commandments in each one of my callings. Precisely. But I like the word that you used just a second ago when you said misleading. Because what this pastor, if I'm not mistaken, he is saying, you've got to know your identity. Before you can do anything, you got to know your identity. Then he ties it back to David. And he says, David knew who he was and the fact that he was anointed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anointed in the Old Testament scriptures. That does not mean what we typically think that it means today. I mean, this was a little Christ. This was this was a Messiah figure. Right. The, the bearer of the oil was the type of Christ, right? Whether that was the priest or the or the king yeah absolutely that's not you no yeah me either and so back to this question of identity which i'm glad you brought up who are we well we are baptized believers in christ amen those those are exactly the words that i was thinking in my head when you said that baptized believers in christ continuing to struggle with our sin drowning it daily through contrition and repentance and emerging to live before god in righteousness and purity forever that is our job that's that's the christian's job description and see the evangelical man i have heard this all my life and i continue to hear it it's this looking for god's will this hunting and searching i heard a sermon just last week that dealt with the fact of we as a church, until we know God's mission for us, will never succeed. And the pastor just kind of left everybody there. Like, we as a church don't know what our mission is? Or we as individual Christians don't know what our mission is even. He laid that on them too. Right. What a burden to carry. Exactly. That was what I was thinking. You are crushing these people. Because they've got to find it. they got to find it. Yep. And he doesn't tell them where to look. He tells them, as we've talked earlier, about setting aside your Bible and praying and asking God to tell you. So the biblical answer to this question, right, of what should I do, is both more difficult on the one hand and simpler on the other hand. Now I'm going to start with a simple thing. The simple thing is, we just talked about it, figure out where God placed you, live your life according to the Ten Commandments. 
Okay, here's where the difficulty comes. You think there must be something more. And but so, that goes back to the old Adam again, wanting something more. Exactly. It goes back to the old Adam wanting something more, and it goes back to his lack of satisfaction with what the Lord has given. Here's so when this pastor comes up and says, God wants more for you, man, the old Adam again, it's alive, it's alive. Right. It just comes to life because it wants <laughs> he's that. He's got the battery charger connected to his nipples. Is that what he's exactly. doing? Exactly. <laughs> right. But again, in theological circles, or at least in Lutheran circles, this is a, a theology of glory. It totally is a theology of glory. It's a theology of sight because I, you know, what I can, I can sort of uh, make my ten steps of things I got to do better, knock them off, and there I can say, "Ha, ah, the Lord's," you know, I'm, I'm progressing against what the Lord wants me to do. And in regard to sight, every one of these pastors, who's this hip, cool guy, will always say, "Well, look at our church. We started with nothing, and now look at us. We are like the cat's meow. We're going to take over the world. We have satellite campuses here, 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 and here. This is what God has for you. Can't you just look around and see? See how successful this has been. So when you live by faith, by faith in the Word of God, you don't see how living a life according to the Ten Commandments in the vocations the Lord has given you is a blessing to you or anybody else. You take it on faith. And why? Because the Lord said it. Not in some direct download, but in his holy scriptures, the only place where we can actually find what God wants us to know. Christians struggle with this all the time, and I would say maybe American Christians more than more than others, because we've got this striver mentality, haven't we, uh, in our culture? Well, on top of that, we're absolutely addicted to celebrity. So we see the celebrities in the world, and then we think, well, if I add a little bit of God to my life, then I can just be as influential or as famous as fill in the blank. Speaking of celebrity and influential, uh, this this authority stuff that he was talking about. What? I mean, that you have authority? Yeah, what is yeah, this? Yeah, well, this is going to get into his Pentecostal leanings where uh, you'll hear it in just a moment, and I'm sure it's in other sermons, probably not as much as in this one. But I'm, I am glad that we are talking a little bit about vocation, because if I'm not mistaken, he is going to bring up the vocation of being a father, and you're going to hear the confusion in it. Interesting. You'll, if you don't know who you are in God, you'll never become it. You have access to the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the authority and the victory and the power of Jesus. Listen, Romans 8, 15 says this. You've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. Listen, I don't know what's been spoken over your life, and I don't know how much you're aware of or convinced of your identity in Christ. But I'm here to remind you this morning, I'm here to encourage you this morning that if you have called and put your faith upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you are sons and daughters. You're no longer slaves, that scripture says. You're now friends of God. Come on, you're not the last. You're you're, you're the first and not the last. According to God's word, you're the head and you're not the tail. Come on, you're blessed in the city. You're blessed in the country. Come on, where are my country folks at? Come on, you're blessed in your coming. You're blessed in your going. You're an overcomer and you're a conqueror and not just a conqueror, God's word said. That wasn't a strong enough way to say it. You're more than a conqueror. That is just a mouthful of ridiculous stuff. It is, but Pastor Bruss, all those little slogans are all preached by Joel Osteen. This is all Pentecostal 
pablum. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't even know where to start uh, uh, on this, uh, right? You're not the last, you're the first. Well, doesn't the Lord Jesus tell us precisely the opposite, that uh, he who would be first must be last, uh, that, that, that you are the servant and not the master? And, and uh, Don't get biblical on us, Pastor Bruss. Let's just stay in the stream. Right, where you're the head and not the tail? Where does that come from? And isn't that a scary thing? Ephesians chapter 5. I am the tail. I'm the body of Christ. I'm his little pinky, at, or maybe the uh, you know hangnail. That's what I am. That's all I am. He is the head. This is just uh, insane stuff that, that is abiblical, anti-biblical, and fed entirely, what, by um, American bootstrap theology, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Would you? Mm-hmm. Come on, some of you need to get in touch and become aware or be reminded of your identity in Christ, the anointing and the authority that you have access to in his name. Come on, you say, Pastor T, that's just, that's just raw, raw coach stuff, you know. Well, guilty as charged. Come on, what else do you want me to be as your pastor but someone that's encouraging you to discover and become all that God's made possible for you as a disciple and as a believer? Well, there you have it, folks. He is a cheerleader. And that's pretty much all you're going to be hearing from something like this. I think it's interesting that he's going to get into the office of the ministry here and talk about the pastoral role. And you'll hear that it is so confusing. I mean, again, we, this thing started off with, let's read the text. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where are, where are we even? <laughs> text is gone. That's long gone. Yeah. So, Pastor Kearns, what would a if you wanted to say pastoral role? What is it? What is a Lutheran pastor's role? A Lutheran pastor's role is to give the goods. I knew that's exactly what you're going to say. <laughs> okay, so what are the goods? The goods are God's word, His sacraments. It is the giving of the gifts. And what do those gifts have? What do they come with? I mean, this is the important thing. They come with the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. This is what the Lord wants for us. And he is allowing us to touch holy things, but not keep them to ourselves. We give these holy things away. And, and for this guy. In his stead and by his command. Okay, so let's talk about the biblical mandates for this stuff. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even at the end of the age. Matthew 28, very end. Uh, then the celebration of the sacrament. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. That is the, that's the command, to do it. Then uh, we've got Romans chapter 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Okay, so we've got these three things that, that determine the role of the pastor in the very scriptures. Now, what does he— As well as the keys passage. Oh, yes, right? Yes. Whosoever sins you forgive, they have been forgiven them. And whosoever sins you retain, they have been retained. And this is John chapter 20. So there, yeah, we're dealing directly with, uh, well, whatever. Every one of those is dealing directly with the forgiveness of sins. The interesting thing that I am hearing here is that the goods are extraneous. I, I'm sure this is way too small for, for him, right? Word and sacrament. That's just, that's just nothing. Please, the go- too mundane. The goods are to be gotten. You don't have them yet, but they're, they're out there for you. You go find them. What a horrifying thing. You know, I want to go find God. I want, I want God. I need God. I need what he has for me. Well, go look for it. Good luck with that. Give me a break. It's right? awful. And the Lutheran pastor can with all confidence, on the basis of what Christ the Lord himself has, has commanded us to do, say, 
here are the goods. Come on. Yep. I forgive you all your sins. This is the body of Christ, the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, this is your baptism in which you have been given salvation by God himself. And what I love so much about, say, the vestments of a Lutheran pastor, everything about the Lutheran pastor is covered up except his mouth, his hands, and his feet because they're giving you the goods. The, what does the individual parishioner see? They see his mouth because he's giving out the goods there. They see his hands because he's giving out the goods there. And they see his feet because he's coming to you to give out the goods. I mean, it, it's so it's so beautiful. But it also constrains and it reminds the pastor, this is your job. You're not a life coach. You're not a therapist. You're not a cheerleader. 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 Right. Right, Cheer, cheering us on to go out and get the get the goods out there in our life. Ugh. And listen, can I just tell you something? I, I'd, I, I'd prefer, I love Chet Kiefer. He, he's on our staff. Aren't you grateful for our worship team, by the way? Come on, aren't they growing in the Lord? Aren't they growing? Worship was just awesome this morning. Thank you guys for all that you do and for serving so faithfully in the Activate Weekend last week. They... They learned 12 songs by heart, and then I think we only did like six or seven of them. And so I'm just so grateful and thankful for all the time and energy and effort that they put in. And they, they're showing up, and they're leaning in, and they're leading us into the presence of God. Well, Chet Kiefer, you know, he plays bass right over here, and he's, he's an active guy. You've seen him, you know. And he, he's on our staff. He's on our team, and he, he, he calls me coach. He calls me coach. He, 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 when, when he texts me, when he responds, he says, hey, thanks, coach. Or, hey, coach, what are we going to do about this? Or, hey, coach, what would you like us to do here? He calls me coach. And can I tell you, it's just, it's just kind of, I think it's prophetic and it's getting on me. And I'll just tell you something. I'd prefer in the ministry that God's called me to, to be known as a coach and not a super, superstar. Number one, he is begging people to call him a superstar. And, and they're going to walk out and say, you know, he really is a superstar, but he really wants us to call, call him coach. Isn't that unfortunate? That's the first observation there. But wh- why is this about him? Help me out. I'm lost. I don't know why it's about. I don't know how it got about him. I mean, is, this, is he a giant killer? And he's saying, be like me? Or is he just, is he one of the Israelites on the side? He's like the, the one good Israelite on the sideline saying, you go, David, you can do it. <laughs> I mean, is he the guy who looks at David and goes, okay, here's what you got to do. <laughs> go, go around his flank, you know, take take one stone, hit it here, have you some extras in, in your in your pocket there, and then go around the other side. I mean, he's not he's not a coach there with David, but yet he's turning around and he's going to be a coach with his people. I don't know. It gets so it gets so muddy yes. when 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 the pastor is not doing what the pastor is supposed to do, when he's not been trained in law and gospel, when he doesn't understand anything about the sacraments. It's so crazy. What does he have? What else does he have? All he's got it is is himself, which is we've already said he might be a baptized believer, but the old Adam is in charge. Totally. Yep. And the old Adam, it's the old Adam. It's right. St. Paul talks about faith unto faith, right? This is like old Adam unto old Adam. Correct. uh, Kind of preaching here. Uh, What would you be happy to be called? Pastor? Me too. I'd be totally, totally happy with that. And if people think of that as my first name, as most of them do, that's just great. Well, I got to tell you this story. This is so great. Uh, there was a, a, a child in my wife's class uh, at the Lutheran school. And I would go over there as much as you were over there. I was over there a lot. 
Uh, and this, these kids knew me, but they only knew me as far as, uh, you know, what I wore. I'm wearing a clerical over there. I wear the same clerical every day. So one day, it was a Friday, I had to go pick up my son. And I wore blue jeans, a sweater, and a hat. I was in there talking to the secretary. The child from my wife's classroom came in. The secretary said, do you know who that is to the child? Do you know who that is sitting there? Which was me. She said, it looks like Pastor Kern's and it sounds like Pastor Kearns, but I don't think it's Pastor Kearns. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> but doesn't that tell you, doesn't that uh, t- help people understand how much, the, uh, how much the role of the Lutheran pastor is to uh, beat down the person? This isn't about our personality. It's about delivering the goods that Christ wants us to give. And so you show up uh, dressed always to indicate um, this is what Christ has called me to do, deliver the goods. Need the forgiveness of your sins? I got it, and I will I will speak it to you because Christ wants me to. Well, this pastor is going to, I no, think— coach, coach. Oh, oh yeah. this coach! No, superstar. No, coach. I'm so confused. He's going to continue with this for a few moments. Because if I'm a coach, then we're all getting better. If I'm a coach, then, you're, then I'm helping you discover the destiny that you have in God. If I'm a coach, I'm encouraging you to overcome the challenges and the obstacles and the resistance that you're currently up against to become who God's called you to be. If I'm a coach, then we're all in the game. If I'm a coach, we're all discovering and fulfilling our potential. How many of you believe we're better together when we're standing together as a team? Listen, I, I, I'm in it to win it, and we're going to win as a team. So listen, in this adventure of faith... There are some obstacles that you can expect. There's some resistance you can expect. And I want to tell you this morning, you can expect a battle over your identity. You can expect a battle over your identity. Who you are and who God's made possible for you to become in God, there will be a battle that rages over that thing. Listen, you see it all around the world today. Battle over identity. It's so strong and it's so specific that people even question their gender. There's a battle that, ro- that roars and rages over your identity in Christ. And listen, I'm telling you, you, you need to just expect it and, uh, and ask God to begin to prepare you and strengthen you to stand against it. And how do we stand against it but with the word of God? And l- listen, you just need to understand, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, one of the first ways that the enemy came against and began to lure people away from God's promises and God's power and God's presence and got the future that they had in God was by asking the question, did God really say And some of you last week, God spoke over your life some words or some reminders. He revealed some things to you. And I'm just telling you, you better expect that the enemy's going to come in that place that God spoke life and brought hope to you. And the enemy's going to come. He's the same enemy that he was in Genesis chapter 3. He's going to come and say, did God really say that? Mm, There's a lot to deal with there, Pastor Bronson. There is a ton to deal with there. And you missed my oh my. uh, And so that was an anguished oh my. Uh, yeah, battle over identity. Uh, I mean, he, he hit some things uh, on the head here that, that we should commend him for. Number one, uh, there is constantly uh, a battle over, over Christian identity. And it's not, um, 
I would say it's over our creatureliness, right? The old Adam, the world, and the devil. Well, I mean, he brought it up, Genesis 3. want to put us in the driver's seat. Uh, and so we want to make ourselves into God. And this, this is a, a, like a syndrome for human beings, right? Uh, and it does explain the gender dysphoria and, and other things that, um, you know, uh, are sweeping through our culture. It, it probably explains a lot of the anorexia that we had when we were kids uh, growing up, right? We experienced. It's always a new thing, uh, but it's always this struggle with one's creatureliness uh, and what God actually made me. And it rages uh, in the flesh of unbelievers and believers alike. I think he means something different about our identity in Christ, right? I think he he's talking about the victorious me or the the successful me or something like this, it doesn't really reckon with the, with the constant suffering of the Christian. Read the Petrine epistles. Uh, read Romans 8 all the way to the end, not just the part that makes everybody feel good. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. Read on to where it says we are like sheep led to the slaughter, uh, citing the psalm. Uh, where Paul admits that what afflicts the life of the Christian is death and powers and and uh, the present, the future, the past, all of this stuff, right? But nothing can separate us from God's love, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Which is a great example uh, are those who are listed in Hebrews chapter 11 who lose their life as a result of the faith that they hold dear. Perfect. You want to see the model of a Christian. Look at Jeremiah. As an example, look at Job. As an example, look at the suffering of Joseph. As an example. But isn't this why Luther talks about tentatio as being a part of the Christian life and expecting it, as opposed to being revolted by it and running away from it? Right. The cross is a sign of the the Holy Cross. Luther says is a sign of the of the Holy Christian Church, and what he means by that is suffering is a sign of the Holy Christian Church. I mean, Jesus promises us this, doesn't he? Um, uh, if the world has hated me, they will hate you. But did Jesus know who he was? Uh, his identity was you, in question, I think, yeah. You he, think? Yeah. Was he anointed? <laughs> <laughs> he, he wasn't anointed with the Spirit. I mean, when we talk about our identity in Christ, I think for the Lutheran, it is such a beautiful thing to know that we are in Christ because of what God has done to and for us through the cross and through the means that he's used to distribute that, right? I mean, think of all the awesome passages in the scriptures about baptism, right? Do you not know that as many as of you as have uh, been baptized into Christ have put on Christ Jesus? You are wrapped in the robe of his righteousness. Right. This is what most evangelicals don't understand. They understand the portions of Paul's letters that speak about being in Christ, but they don't recognize that baptism, that's what that is. That's synonymous with your baptism. You are in Christ because of the baptism. That's what gets you there and keeps you there, in fact. And and it's the stream that runs through your life rather than a puddle uh, in the rearview mirror 40 miles back on the highway. The other thing that he's talked about is this uh, God revealing things to you over the past week. So well, it's, it's a more direct download. Yeah. I mean, just as he got one, everybody else has one. Because well, he's a good coach. Well, I guess. I didn't listen to the sermon from the week prior. Maybe there was uh, 
clearly there was an emphasis laid upon that there. So God spoke to you there, and now the devil this week has come to you and said, uh, these things aren't true. You can't be the car salesman you think you're going to be. Right. Right. Here's what I find amazing. As we pointed out earlier, where in the Bible does it say that we're supposed to be giant killers? And then he says a little, he says Wait, here. Is that, is that what the sermon is about? <laughs> <laughs> we clearly have gotten off the rails here. But he just said the devil is the same today as he was back then. And he says, did God really say? Okay, that, he's right on there. He's right on. So do we apply that same technique to what he's already said? Did God really say that we're supposed to be giant killers? Well, he didn't say that. Correct. I, I love that. That is, that, is, that is the point here, isn't it? And this is the point of this whole podcast is what did God actually say? Did he, uh, did he reveal things to you uh, in, your, uh, in your sleep, in your dreams, or whatever else? Or do you know what God intends for you based upon his written, inscripturated word? If you know it from there, you got it. If you don't, you don't. And you see how crazy this is. He gives a valid argument, but then doesn't use that same argumentation against with his own rhetoric. Right. That's that's really interesting. And and he does that is a very valid argument. And the devil is always doing that. He's always suppressing God's word. Did God does God really mean what he said? And can God really do what he promised that he'll do? There's going to be an attack on your identity. You better just come to expect it. He'll attack you. He'll attack you in your in, in in an area and cause you to try to think that you're insignificant. That God can God really use you? Can God really use you? Turn turn back uh, to First Kings chapter nineteen. Because I, I can just feel it as a preacher when I'm preaching and I'm declaring and I'm proclaiming the promises of God. I can even feel the way of the attack of the enemy over your identity in Christ. Sometimes when I'm promising those things, I'm, saying, I'm declaring that's the very word of God. That's not Pastor T's idea, that you're the first and not the last, that you're the head and not the tail, that you're a son and a daughter, you're no longer a slave but a friend of God, that you're an overcomer and a conqueror, or not just a conqueror but more than a conqueror. I, I can feel some of you check out because you just can't relate. I can feel some of you. It's just like you're talking about someone else, but you can't be talking about me because, Pastor T, if you knew what I had done, if you knew what I had said, if you knew where, if you knew where I was even last night, if you knew where my mind was right now, if you knew those things about me, that couldn't be true about me. And I'm telling you this morning that that's a lie from the pit of hell, that you are all those things and then some. Because the blood of Jesus is more powerful than any of those things. Listen, there's nothing that you could tell me. There's no misstep. There's no sin. There's no mind. There's nothing that you could tell me about about your past or present that wouldn't con- that I would not remain convinced that God has a good future for you. Because the blood of Jesus is stronger and more powerful than any of those things. It's difficult to parse. It is. I again, that's a, so much mumble jumble, right? And or mumbo jumbo. It's it's just a lot of slogans and trite sayings uh, just jumbled up together the blood of jesus i mean we have to say he's right at a certain level well certain of his words are right is can we say that okay okay so the blood of jesus does all this how does that blood of jesus get to me that he doesn't even he doesn't even answer believe he uh, has no concept of the distribution 
Correct. And I think what he's saying, if I if I'm if I'm understanding him correctly, he's talking about identity as this sort of aspirational thing. You know, I want to be the best car salesman at the at the dealership, wh- whatever it might be. It's uh, a motivational talk, really. Right. And so the future that the blood of Christ assures us of is the verdict of not guilty on the day of judgment. That's the future that is assured in the blood of Christ. It is not that your life is going to get better. I mean, this is just, this is very scary stuff, actually. And and I would go back and reassert, it is wicked. Because he's leaving people high and dry. And he's clearly not fulfilling his role as a pastor. No, but he's, he's a hell of a coach. So you say... You say, well, that's King David. You're talking about King David, and I'm just common Kevin or normal Nancy, you know. And I'm, I'm sorry, N- Nancy always gets used, whether it's n- negative or whatever, you know. You say, I'm just common Kevin. I'm just normal Nancy. You're talking about King David. I, I just get up, and I work a nine-to-five. I'm a stay-at-home mom, whatever your life looks like. Let me encourage you with something from this story. David didn't wake up on the day that he slayed the giant thinking, today's the day that I go kill a giant. He woke up with a commitment to just be faithful with the things that God had called him to that day. He woke up planning to be in the field, not on the forefront. You know, I I don't need alliteration here, the field instead of the forefront or what have you. You know, what was David doing? He was honoring and obeying his mother and father, specifically his father who told him to deliver these goods you mean he, he was following one of God's commandments? He knew exactly what God's will for him was that day. And but I, but I think the nice thing is he's admitted this. That's good. Right? He's admitted this. Now, if David had gone up to Goliath and sort of stumbled into the arena where Goliath was and been crushed by Goliath, would David still be a hero of the faith? What's the answer? It would be yes. Absolutely yes. Because he was the one who said, how dare this guy blaspheme the God of Israel. Right. Right. This is the weird thing, right, is this connection of, like, there's he's drawing a direct line from faithfulness to, this, to David's victory. And that line cannot always be drawn. And in fact, even among biblical characters, very important. But you could do the same thing with, say, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, you could you could preach the same sermon and use them, right? They were faithful, hence successful. You can be the same way too. Good, uh, but but then, they could have been burned up, and they even acknowledged that. Exactly. Even if we get burned up, exactly. And and Dave, that's that's how that's how David was thinking. Go back to the Hebrews eleven chapter that you were talking about. Why do these folks? Uh, do what they do. It's not because they think that the out, the worldly outcome is a foregone conclusion. It's because they believe in the resurrection of the flesh that they have in Christ who rises from the dead. And this is what I loved a couple of podcasts ago about what you were talking about with Paul and uh, who's the young fellow that fell out of church oh, window? Utica? Yeah. Uh, Uticus? Yeah. Uticus. Lucky. Lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Paul rushes down, and obviously members of the church rush down to see this boy. And Paul says he has life in him. Not like his heartbeat is faint. Right. It is, he has the very body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ in him. Man, that's a, that's a mind bender. Right, and so, don't, and so don't worry about this. That's, that's Paul's point. Right. Right. 
But then he takes him up living. <laughs> right. So even if he wouldn't have taken him up living, he still has the very body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ in him. And if the Lord Jesus Christ couldn't stay in the grave dead, then, then neither will this boy. Correct. He will live again. Correct. And so, so if Paul had gone up to him, put a mirror in front of his mouth, felt his heartbeat, and there's nothing, nothing right. at all, he would have said the same exact words is what you're saying. Right. Yes. And that's what matters. That's what matters. That's the, that's the future outcome that is assured not the stepping stones on the way out of this life to to death. And, okay, and this I is mean, why we can sing that hymn. What is it uh, where life, wife, take my oh, fortune. Yeah, and take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife. Right. Like, Let these all be gone. It's okay. Yeah. They still have nothing won. The kingdom ours remaineth. And he knew something. He understood that, that the pathway to the new and the next and the more, he had been anointed. He knew some things that God was calling him to and had, was preparing him for. But he understood that the pathway to connect to the new, the next, and the more of God was faithfulness with the now of God. With the normal things of life, with the things that some people describe as common, how he walked those out before God and before others was paramount to his connection to God's destiny in his life. And so I don't care what you do and who you are or where you work or, or what your life looks like. It might be that you might think it's common, but I'm telling you, you're called to an extraordinary life in God. How would this message go over in the nursing home with our shut-ins? It, you that, are called to an extraordinary life in God. That, that would be fantastic. Uh, they would love that. Uh, I, they'd be uh, envisioning leaping out of their chairs. But Here's the thing. He, he is, uh, in a sense, he is right. David can connect his boldness uh, toward Goliath, in a sense, uh, to his anointing as king of Israel. The prophet of God, by the revelation of God, anointed David king of Israel. He is the future king of Israel. No doubt. No. Even None of us though he is anointed, yet not reigning. Correct. I mean, this is a, this is a special instance. Uh, how did how did this go for the guys in the sideline watching this thing? Uh, they don't have the anointing of David. They are not destined to be the king of Israel. What he's saying here does not answer their quandary of what am I supposed to be doing ten years from now? A am I right about this? You follow what I'm saying? They but they know exactly what they should be doing ten years from now, and it's following God's ten commandments wherever God has placed them. You don't look convinced. What this guy is doing, what Pastor T is doing. Coach T, Coach Pastor T. Plus. All right, Mr. T. What Mr. T is doing is he is saying um, that, that we can extrapolate from David's life where it was clearly revealed to him that he was going to be the king of Israel and that he was already anointed, right? We can extrapolate from that that the Lord has got great things in mind for our own life. Right. But here's my point. That sermon you could not apply to the guys on the sideline with Goliath. They they did not have that anointing. They did not. And God had not destined them for royal greatness. So what are they supposed to do? Well, they simply follow the Ten Commandments. That's what God wants them to do. That's my point. Got it. And I just want to encourage you with some things because I have a dream for my life and for this church and I have a dream for your life and for your future and for your marriage and for your family because I know what God thinks about you and I know what he's made possible for you. 
But we can't get too caught up in this big picture, long-term dream that we miss the fact that the connection to that dream is just the next step. That, that we, we get so preoccupied with seeing God do something someday that we fail to realize that God wants to do something in your life today. Pastor Bruss, what does God want to do in the life of these people who have come to church today? He wants to forgive their sins for the sake of Christ through the mouthpiece of his, through the mouth of his pastor. And he's not doing it, or he's being prevented from doing it by the pastor himself. David got up that morning, and he, the, the assignment for his day was tending some sheep. And then his dad came, and he said, hey, I want you to run an errand. Come on, he was doing, con- his brother even said, don't you have a few sheep to watch over? It was nothing special. It wasn't this massive ranch or anything prominent. He just, he, it was, it was, it could seem trivial. It could seem mundane. But he got up and he was understanding that God, that, the, that him being faithful to walk out the things that God had already put in his hand was preparing him for the giants that he was going to slay. He understood this. Listen, God birthed this church in the 1970s in a movement called the Jesus Movement. And it's something that the Lord began to speak to me as we were praying and seeking the Lord for that in that season of God calling us to step out in faith, the faith that it was going to take to embrace a new name for this church. And he began to speak to me and say, said, this church started in a movement and I'm renaming a movement. And I think it's so amazing that God renamed us as a verb. That's tough. I mean, think about other verbs you could possibly use to name it. He renamed us as a, as a verb rev. He's calling us to be active. Listen, here's what I'm saying. God birthed this church in a movement, and he's called us to a movement. But a movement is not one moment in time. A movement is a series of moments interconnected to one another. You need to hear me in this. Faithfulness with what God's doing today. Some of you have thought, well, someday I'll do something. Someday God will move. Someday. And I'm telling you that today is the day of victory for you. And, and, and it comes by embracing the God, the, the God in the midst of the normal and common and mundane moments and saying, God, those things that you've given me, I'm not going to take it for granted. I'm going to look and I'm going to watch and I'm going to expect you to move in those moments and move in those places and to even use me to introduce you into those places. Are you there? I asked you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. And Elijah, he's in a tough spot and he's... He's really battling, and he's, he calls out to God, and, and in first, pick up in verse 11, he's, he's really desperate to hear from God. He's desperate for a word from God. And in verse 11 in 1 Kings 19, it says this, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. He's speaking to Elijah. And Elijah stood there, and the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. And it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. Come on, that's a windstorm. That's a Texas-sized windstorm right there. That wind blows in Kansas a little too. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but it says the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He needed a move of God. He needed a word from God. And it says that there was a wind, and there was an earthquake, and there was a fire. And some might have expected for God to reveal himself in something grandiose and and special and majestic. But God wasn't in any of those things. God was in the still moment of the whisper. I feel like my brain 
is scrambled eggs. I agree. I think it, that's a it, great metaphor. It's for like it. it as I keep listening, the the egg egg beater just kind of keeps the whisk gets gets. I, I can't even formulate a sentence. I mean, we we, <laughs> <laughs> we go from we go from the scriptures to how you you are a giant killer. Then we move into understanding our identity. Then somehow or another we get to the fact that the pastor wants to be called a coach instead of a superstar. Then we start to move to how this church was born out of a movement and God renamed us as a verb. Because it's a movement. Right. And, and how God did this, I have no idea. Do you? Do no, no. Now we're talking about how one receives direct downloads. And this is the Randy Hand used the same verse. Yeah, this must be the go-to passage. It is. Huh? It's one of them, if not the Eli and Samuel passage. Oh, another... They all do the same thing. The Lord was not in this. The Lord was not in this. The Lord was not in this. And then at the very end, he says the Lord spoke to him. But somehow or another, we bat, we miss one, and we say it was in the, in the whisper, right, right. But the whisper was the noise, and then the Lord spoke, right. Yeah, yeah. The prophet didn't have to know his identity. I mean, he he didn't have to know his anointing, his call. Like when the Lord wants to talk to you like this, you don't have to take a class. You don't have to figure it out. It it just comes to you. Now well, I'm talking about the people the that are in the Bible, right. right. I'm not talking about you and I. Right. The only thing I would say is that if God is whispering anywhere, he's whispering in his holy scriptures, and there is a disdain for, for just that here, right? I mean, if you were to follow his own line, we, we're expecting the, the, uh, the great magnificent sort of thing, the, the earthquake, the wind, the fire. But God actually does. He's right. God uses very mundane things that you don't expect, namely his inscripturated word. And he's he's a despiser of the word. Even though he read it, but yet he began to interpret it incorrectly. And as a result of that, it negates everything. Yeah, that's an interesting... Th- it's like it cancels it. It does. You know, the, the uh, third commandment and the first petition of the Lord's Prayer are connected, right? Um, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God, or we should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching in his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Okay. First petition, uh, hallowed be thy name. Or how is God's name kept holy, right? God's name is kept holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, and we as the children of God also lead holy lives according to it. And And here what we've got is this major, oh, and second commandment, and this is a misuse of the Lord's name. This is crediting to God what God never said. Exactly. That is blasphemy. And I'm just telling you today that the movement that God's calling you to, the life that God's calling you to, the purpose that God's prepared you for, and the destiny that he's leading you into is a series of moments. And you'll get there as you begin to say, God, these moments that you've entrusted me with, these moments that you've called me to, I'm going to begin to look and I'm going to begin to listen and I'm going to begin to expect you to speak in the things that some might call common or ordinary or mundane. I'm expecting you to be in the midst of it. And I understand that as I'm faithful with those things, you're preparing me for some of the things that you've called me to in the future. Listen, there are some things you've been anointed for in God that you're not yet connected to. God has you in the field to prepare you for your future. God's got some preparatory assignments for you. God's got some errands for you to run. And sometimes an errand can turn into an encounter. 
listen, I don't know what it is that God's calling you to. I don't know what the dream is in your heart. I don't know if it's connected to your ministry or I don't know if it's connected to your marriage or your family or maybe it's the desire for a spouse. You need to understand that God knows and he sees and he cares about that and he's got you right where he needs you to prepare you for where he wants to take you. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. I mean, it, it, it is nothing now but just a random piecing together of nothingness. Of, pe- of, of peppy talk or something. Coach talk. But it's, it's nothing. It, there's, there's nothing, nothing here. No, there's nothing here. You got to start embracing that God can be found in the common things of life. He's with you and he's for you, you know. <laughs> I, uh, you know, we have, uh, we have three kids and one on the way. One's about, there's, we have four kids. One of them just hadn't hit the ground yet. Could you guys see that this morning? That was my wife, Amity, that was up here helping me close worship there. I, what am I saying? I was helping her. <laughs> but could you see that? We're about, what, six weeks away, baby, right, from, from welcoming a new little baby boy. And so, you know, over the, we- <laughs> over the weekend, I'm trying to prepare my message and spend time with the Lord and everything, and it just... It just felt like every, the kids were kind of acting up, you know, and, and it just, my wife warned me about how to share this. I'm trying, I'm treading lightly, if you can't tell. <laughs> I'm treading lightly. So all throughout the weekend, you know, I'm trying to do spiritual things, you know. I'm, I'm trying to be real spiritual. And it just seemed like every time, you know, I was sitting and trying to be real spiritual, someone, a hiney needed to be wiped, <laughs> And if it wasn't wiping a hiney, someone's hiney needed spanking, you know, right, or something. And I, as I was doing it, I just felt the Lord just speak to me and just say, you know what, this is a special season in your life. You won't always have hineys to wipe. Why does this get pegged on the Lord speaking to him? I mean, it's kind of like common sense. It, it is. It's totally common sense, isn't it? You could have derived it from if you were a pagan. But here, here, um, he's getting on to some good things, you know, the doctrine of vocation, that this is what the Lord wants us to be doing as fathers and mothers and whatever. But yet it's still confused in his head. Because he's he's attributing this to direct revelations. Well, and on top of that, he's thinking, I'm supposed to be doing the pastor role, but I get the pastor role interrupted by the father role, the father vocation. And like you and I would say, I think, well, don't prepare for your sermon at home. If you want to keep your pastor hat on, then don't. It's hard to to wear both hats in the same place at the same time. Number one. Number two. Are you working on your sermon on Saturday? Seriously? (laughs) Well, (laughs) you should have prepared it way long earlier than that. Number three. What is it? Uh, Klaus the Valvesagen, whatever that German, you remember? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, where you, uh, uh, yeah. Klaus. Du bist faul gewesen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. So there's, so, so the other thing that's interesting is that he's divorcing spirituality from wiping his baby's butt. Right! And that's a huge problem. Right! See, the Lutheran would say, no. That is the most spiritual thing you can be doing right now. They're, they're both spiritual. Yep. Because they're, because they're linked to the vocation that the Lord has given you, and in both of those cases, you are following what the Lord wants you to do. I.e. the Ten Commandments. Correct. Unbelievable. This, this is muddle-headed. You, so, see, you see how it's yeah. so confusing? Yeah. And look, it's, it's, it's not just this guy. This is every evangelical. They don't think Bible in terms of law gospel. They don't think vocation. They, they, they don't think sacramentally. 
Everything is upside down. The Lutheran mind clarifies it all. Right. Can we go back to uh, something we've talked about before, the pattern of sound words? St. Paul writes about this to Timothy. There is a pattern of sound words, and it and, and what it is is about, as you've, this illustration that you've used in the past, ha- having the right hooks to hang the right stuff on so that your pants don't fall off the wall because there's no hook there. It's beautiful. All the pants, so to speak, that you could go through in life can find a home on those hooks. I just don't, I, I don't understand why someone would be reticent to that. It's, I, uh, that's good. I, I was hoping you were going to go in that direction. I think there is a presumption. I, I think there's a presumption working here, and you've identified and talked about this before. These guys operate as if they are the first ones to have ever thought about any of this stuff, not realizing that they're just aping what they've heard from you know, Joel Osteen or whoever else it might be on the one hand, and on the other hand, completely ignorant of the genius of those who have gone before them. I mean, man, you know, a do- look, I'm not, I am not a Calvinist, but a dose of Calvin would help this guy tremendously. Sure. A dose of Luther would get him all the way there. Uh, a, a, a dose of St. Augustine would get him there. But, they, you know, there's this sort of, uh, would you call it like a leapfrog kind of thing? Like the gospel leapt from the Great Commission in Matthew 28 right up to 2018 in Lawrence, Kansas at Rev City Church. Well, I wouldn't even say he goes back that far. He already went back as far as he can go back in his own mind when when he talked about the Jesus movement. In oh, his mind, that's, his, that's church history. That's church history. Yeah, right. That's it. That's yeah. all we got. Right, right. And it went back to whoever the movers and the shakers were, Donnie Frisbee, I don't know if you've ever heard that name, no. Greg Laurie, I think it's Chuck Smith. That's, that's as far back. Right. And, that, and that's a misfortune. And the reason is because over years, what happens is as various heresies arise in the church, the church sharpens its understanding of what the scriptures do and don't say. It's not that they come to new doctrines. It's that they sharpen their understanding of what the doctrine of God already is. Listen, I mean, I'm not trying to over-spiritualize it. I'm just telling you what God spoke to my heart. You guys are like, yeah, we know it's not very spiritual. <laughs> God spoke to my heart, and I, and I felt something shift inside of me. And, and just that, that, that temporary um, invitation to see it as an inconvenience, I began to see as a privilege and an opportunity, an invitation, really. And I'm telling you, I, I, I made a commitment. I mean, I'm just telling you, I'm just sharing with you. This is just real talk with Pastor T right here. I made a commitment that um, every time, I'll begin to associate it with something different. Every time I get that call, here's what it sounds like for me. Dad, come wipe me. (laughs) You know, Dad, I'm finished. That I'm going to go over there, and and as we're doing that, I'm going to find a way to just speak a blessing over whichever kid that is that needs my attention at that moment. And what happens when he doesn't? When he fails. Yeah. So now, now he's got his now he's got his goal. This is how he's what gonna slay the giant. The, what the poop giant in his life? I guess is that what it is? the potty the potty giant. <laughs> potty giant in his life. Believe me, there was a time when I was sick of giving baths to children. Sick of it. I get it. I didn't stand before a congregation of people and say every time from here on out, yeah. 
I'm going to give him a blessing. I'm going to give him a yeah. blessing. So here's here's my question in regard to this pastor. Is he sinning if he does not do that? He's already formulated his own man-made law. God didn't tell him to do that. I mean, he just said, uh, love your neighbor. But now he's going to speak a blessing over every time we got to go sit and go pee-pee on the potty. So what happens when he doesn't? Because I can guarantee... By the end of the week, he's not going to have done it. I would say, I would argue within 24 hours, he's not going to do this. A, is he sinning? B, does everybody in the congregation who has little tykes on little potties, are they supposed to do this too? I think that's the thrust, wouldn't you say? The Lord gave this revelation to him, and so then he's the conduit for everybody else, and they need to do likewise? I. This is not. This is non. It's just sort of nonsense stuff. And, and I not, still and not, don't ha- know how what it deals with with uh, slaying giants. Right. Right. Or or even what uh, much less what it has to do with David and Goliath, which is a type of Christ. Just begin to. Say, I mean, it's just a moment where they've got my attention, you know. And I'm paying attention <laughs> to what I'm doing. And I'm going to begin to associate that with the opportunity. I'm not going to see it as an inconvenience or an interruption. I'm going to begin to see it as an invitation. What? Oh, wow! What? What a guy! <laughs> what? I I am a lousy dad because you don't you you know, you regard it as an inconvenience. Uh, to- totally. Sure. Yeah. Even going in saying, "Look, you're 18 years old. Why can't you do this yourself?" <laughs> <laughs> Quit calling me. <laughs> <laughs> he cannot he cannot see the spirituality of wiping his kid's butt. Right. Okay. And so he's gotta sacralize it somehow or other, uh, by speaking a blessing. He's gotta he's gotta do something to make it holy, even though it's already holy. Oh, that is that is exactly it. So if the example were washing dishes, every time we wash a particular dish we're going to pray for somebody or remember somebody or 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 thank the lord that i have dishes to wash right wow so it's not good enough just to do the job faithfully it is we've got to somehow add this spiritual component bathe it in prayer mm. there's listen there's some things in your life that just seem common seem mundane you're just going through the motions. It's just stuff you see as opportunity. Listen, it, those things oftentimes are not interruptions. They're invitations. What if we began to see every moment as an opportunity to introduce the presence of God, the word of God, the hope of God? What if an errand could begin to be seen as an encounter? What if, what if everything that seems mundane could begin to be seen as an opportunity for a miracle? Let me just tell you, you don't have to go to Asia or the 1040 window or wherever to lead people to Jesus Christ. There's a mission field right here, and it's called Walmart. And, and there, there's every tribe, every nation, every tongue, rich and poor, 
people that desperately need to know Jesus, what if you started going to Walmart, instead of just seeing it as an errand that your wife called you to do, you started walking in and saying, all right, God, I'm on an assignment. Here's where I am. Here's where I'm now. Let's see what you're up to. So this is that evangelical mindset that um, every conversion is a notch in the belt. Is, is that what's impelling this? or No. Okay. It's more pack your bags, we're going on a guilt trip. I see. And it's all about uh, building up Rev City. Oh, no, no Rev, doubt. It, Rev City revenue. Correct. Right. And so, I mean, I get what he's saying, but look, when my wife sends me on an errand, I don't spiritualize it. I try to go get exactly what she needs as a way to love my neighbor, who at that point happens to be my wife, who says, I need XYZ from this store. And you already have a sacred duty. Correct. I don't need to turn it into something else. And and so that this is, you know, we have, we have observed this more times than one. The error of the modern evangelical is the error of Roman Catholicism. Right. Right. In Roman Catholicism, nothing could be sacred unless you were a monk or a nun or a priest. Everything else was not sacred. What Luther discovered is that living your vocation according to the Ten Commandments is sacred because God himself has called you to this. How do you know? Because he's put you there. Can you imagine the burden on people now? I mean, they have got to sacralize everything. But at the same time, he talks about how some things that God calls us to are mundane. Right. And I would agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. But God has something better in mind for you. And I still don't know how that slays a giant. I have no idea. I don't even know what giant is there. And then you began to just operate in the gift and the grace that God had put on your life. Maybe you have a gift of encouragement, and so you're going to just try to find someone to encourage. Maybe you have a gift of giving and generosity. God's prospered you. Or maybe you haven't even really prospered yet, but you just have a gift and a grace of giving, and you're going, and you're just looking and saying, all right, Lord, I know I'm here to buy my eggs, but I'm going to look to buy a single mom's milk. Or you walk in and you say, Lord, I, there, there's, a, there's a compassion that I have on my life, and let me just tell you, you don't have to, you can hardly get through the front door without finding someone that needs that gift of mercy and compassion to be stirred up and, and pointed to them. Come on, you're anoint, there's an anointing and there's an authority that you have access to, just like David did. And it's time to begin pointing the anointing to the people that God's called you to. Don't underestimate. Listen, sometimes in those sneaky moments, wiping heinies, you, you, can, you need to shift the atmosphere with the word of God. And it, so as David was going about his daily, ordinary life, he was watching for opportunities, and he was understanding that God was preparing him for some things. Listen, some of you think that you're in trouble, but you're really in training. And there's lions, and there's bears in your life, and you're... And you're saying, God, what am I, how can I get to this place because there's lions and there's bears? And look what David did. Look what David said. Actually, I want to pick it up in verse 33. Just look at verse 33. David's stepping out and he's stepping in and he's leaning into God's call in his life. And he said, and Saul says, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. Come on, you're gonna, your identity and your calling in God is going to be resisted. Just settle it. You're going to have to persevere and persist through some things. And he said, I, he said, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. And when a lion or a bear can't, comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, go after it. Come on, look at your other neighbor who was your second choice and say, get after it. 
Come on, get after it. Those things, those lions, those bears, those things that that you think have been sent to destroy you or disrupt you, God's saying get after it and take them down and let it train you up for the faith that you're going to need to kill the giants in your future. So you don't know the thing I'm up against. Listen, all I know is the, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And you might be up against some things that seem impossible today, but I'm just telling you, God wants to bring faith to believe that he can see you through. In the words of a character from Blazing Saddles, this is all authentic frontier gibberish. This is one series of platitudes after another, having nothing to do with the text whatsoever. It's a springboard to... Or reality. Or reality. Preach this sermon to the person who's, got, who's been given a three month, months to live. It's just... Tr- Sl- slay that giant. No, or, or it's just training for... You know, what God wants to do with you. You right. know, you're not in trouble. You're in training. Right. What? This is very, it's disappointing to say the least. I am, I'm disturbed to think that anyone thinks this is a sermon. Well, Pastor Bruss, this, is, this church is only an hour away from us right now. I'm sure there are hundreds and hundreds of people who attend this church, and they love it. We talked about this. The old Adam loves his stuff, right? Well, so, so it's tickling the old Adam. Okay. But I think it also, it does it go hand in hand with this whole idea of, you know, <clears throat> look, I want to listen to some pick-me-up stuff. I want it to be, you know, look like it's the right thing, so I'll, I'll pick it up at a church. That's where I'll go, f- go for it. I, it. So when Jesus promises, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Jesus here? I I. Have you heard of Jesus? Oh, well, we have. We've heard about the blood of Jesus Christ. We did. Yep. Uh, but there, it was simply a, it was the wrong thing. It was this thing that allows you to accomplish what you want to accomplish in your life, right? And there was no delivery mechanism, no way to get it, blah, blah, blah. I don't know, man. I that's, This is a hard question for me to answer. Can the Lord actually create faith in the midst of so much heresy? Faith, now, what I mean is, Saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Jeroboam in the northern kingdom set up the temple in Dan and Bethel so that people wouldn't go down to the south and be persuaded by Rehoboam and the God of Israel. And pay their tribute there. Was God in the midst of those temples where he set up golden calves? This is a long discussion. (laughs) (laughs) What Luther, what Luther says about that is that uh, they are worshiping the one true God in the wrong way. And okay, but there's dire consequences for oh, that. Totally. To- this is a breach against the first table of the law. There were ways in which you move the ark, and Uzzah thought, well, if I don't want it to fall on the ground, even though it would have been better to fall on the ground. The ground was holier, so to speak. Than Uzzah's hands. Correct. And Uzzah met Jehovah Nukem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the question is, really, when, when human beings obfuscate the gospel so much, can the gospel even be heard? Is it possible for the gospel to be heard? I mean, at some point, there's enough hair and mucus and whatever else that goes into my pee trap in my sink that the water gets stopped up. And you got to do something about it. And we all know the way that it's supposed to work, but it's clogged. 
I mean, I and say so this he, out so of here, my concern for for these, for yeah, these people. I, I, I completely hear that. Not in a judgmental state, like, oh, it's not there, it's over here. But to say, like, how do you unclog it? Well, they unclog it by going to a Lutheran church is how they unclog it. You're talking right. about the, the the members of the congregation, the yes. people of the congregation. Yes, where they can hear the gospel proclaimed in, in full-throatedly that, that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world, and that he wants to come to you right now through his word and sacrament and deliver that forgiveness to you. Remember what God's already done. If he's delivered you from the lion and bear... He'll, he'll, he'll give you the grace to defeat the giant. Get after it. Go after it. Come, can I ask the worship team to come up and get ready to help us close this morning? And Listen, I want to encourage you in faith. Get after it. What, what's, your, what's your lion? What, 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 where are your bears in your life? Are the people seriously asking themselves, what are the lions and the bears in my life? If I were sitting in this audience after hearing what I have heard thus far, the bottom line is, there are no lions or bears in my life. Literally. <laughs> right. I've never, right. I've never come across one. I've never seen one. I would never even say that the things that, are, that I'm up against in my life, the quote-unquote things that stress me out, I would never call them a lion. I would never call them a bear. And never slay them, never chase them with a club. I would yeah. never read in the scriptures where David is talking about lions and bears that I'll be doggone. You better go out and find your own. Right. right and get after them. Get after them in faith, whatever that means. This thing has been metaphorized beyond recognition, the text has. And have you allowed the, the roaring of the lion and, the, and the, the bear that stands up and raises himself up against you to intimidate you and cause you to shrink back or hold back or give in? Have you allowed those things to cause you to, 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 to cower in the corner of God's destiny? Or, and today, is, there, is it possible that God wants to bring faith where you'll begin to stand up and say, not on my watch. Who is this Philistine that defies the call of God on my life? I'm going to start to get after it. You know, it just hit me. There is this stump in my backyard that I have been digging around for the last several days and slowly, slowly, slowly working pieces, but yet there, there's still the large part. And as he's talking, it, it occurred to me that... That is your That's lion. my lion. That's your lion. Yeah, it and stands it's, up. It's, and it has backed you into the corner of God's me, destiny. Scares me. Scares me. And, and, and I'm fearful. In, cowering in the corner of God's destiny. Right. I, I, yep. Yep, you are not. I can't wait to finish this podcast so I can go home <laughs> and stand in faith with an axe <laughs> and chop that s*** <laughs> You see, I, this is described. God's given us a, some weapons that are of our warfare that are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds, and this right here is described as the sword of the Spirit. And I believe that there's a faith and there's a, there's a fresh invitation and revelation that God's bringing to God's people to begin to get after it. Quit letting the enemy dictate things to you. Begin to stand up against it and say, I, I, I hear that challenge. I hear that voice. I see that obstacle. I see that lion. I see that bear. But the word of God says this. Right. Right. No stump formed against me. Shall prosper. I'm gonna. I'm gonna tell that <laughs> to your stump. To my stump. There you go. Do you, are Are you familiar with process theology? Well, yeah. But so process theology. Well, I, I think it's. I, I think it does fit. Okay. And it fits in this way that God becomes the answer 
to whatever question the human has. In other words, God doesn't supply the answer before the human knows it. God becomes the answer to the question that the human... Does my life have meaning? The answer in process theology is, well, yeah, of course, you know, there's a God who made you. Process theology doesn't start from the divine side. It starts from the, the human side. And that's heresy. This reminds me very much of, of that sort of thing, right? Here's my problem. Well, you know, uh, what is, uh, I'm going to go fish around and dig around for whatever I think God says, or I'm going to theologize about what I think God says about this thing. It begins, this guy is beginning with a human diagnosis of the human and trying to find a divine answer for it, whereas the way theology works is that it begins with a divine diagnosis of the human situation and supplies a divine answer to the human situation. And the human mind must bow to the divine revelation cur- cur- regardless. Well, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to one way or the other, right? It does in faith in, 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 in Jesus Christ in this life, and if it doesn't happen then, it's going to happen on the judgment day. Or, for instance, say for creation. I mean, I wasn't at creation, but God was. Right. And he said, this is the way it went down. So I can believe it or not believe it. But if I don't believe it, then I'm the one kicking against the goads. It's going to actually harm me in the long run. Correct. Correct. <clears throat> so and, my point is, I've got to submit to to that at some point. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the right, that's the right order. Uh, the order that he's posing is that you go out and find whatever your lion or tiger or bear or my is and and then find whatever God's answer is for it. Okay, and so this is why, this is yet another reason why this is so dangerous. If I go out and find a answer to this dilemma, what's to stop me from employing Hindu rationale to it or Buddhist rationale to it? Uh, Nothing. Uh, the Quran to deal with this problem. Especially when you're getting direct downloads. This is this is really where it's problematic. I, I just think you're just setting yourself up to be either A, satanically deceived, or, as we've already talked about before with the old Adam, just to be self-deceived. Right. And so churches like this become a, a, actually a rotating door out of the one holy Christian right. and apostolic church. You've mentioned this before in that the back door is bigger than the front door because people come in, they hear it, they're enamored by it, they, you know, it's the whole old Adam, I'm alive, and there's a big thrill with this, and the enthusiasm kicks in, and it's it's just, you know, it's funny how it's called revved up church or right. revved church. I mean, they, they're revved up, but it's like running your car at... 8,000 RPM after a while, like, it's not supposed to do that right? for long periods of time. Right. You're exactly right. And Christianity never goes there. And that's another point, right? So it's not like this is a legitimate form of Christianity. No, this is a bastard child from the spawn of Satan himself. Right. Because the correct form of Christianity is to be passive. And to receive. And to receive. And to receive what God wants to give, namely the forgiveness of sins in Christ. We have not heard about that. And to begin to stand in the truth and the light of, who, of what God's made possible for you to be and become. God wants to deliver you from some lions and some bears. And I, 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 wanted, I feel like the Lord really wants to minister to some people this morning as we close in worship and Can I just ask you all, church family, to just stand to your feet?
And I really believe that there's an atmosphere that's about to be set for you to be delivered from some lions and some bears. Or maybe you've already fought your lions and bears, and today's the day that your giant needs to come down. I had no idea that lions and bears, that's kind of like a, I don't know, what do you say? Like midget wrestling? Yeah, I mean, no, this is this is wiping your baby's bottom, and then the, 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 giant, the giant is your cancer. Oh, yeah. That's how it goes. So there's a process. There's an order. There's an there, order. There, yep. there, there, it is process theology. <laughs> you, you, you go through taking care of these other guys like David did to work your way up. To the giant. To the giant. To the giant. And so I, I want the worship team, are we, are we prepared to just go in and just sing that goodness, kindness, and faithfulness? I, I want the worship team to go back and lead us in that moment. And in the atmosphere that's created by that song, an atmosphere of faith. I want to just give you some open space. We'll just, about 10 more minutes and we'll get you up out and about your day. But I want to create an open invitation for you to just step out in faith. The Bible says David ran towards that giant. And I really believe that there's faith stirring in some people's hearts this morning to step out and to begin to run into what God has for you. And so, Lord, we thank you for the faith and the freedom today to be set free from some of those things. Listen, I believe that there's some lions and some bears, and I think the Lord put a few of them on my heart. God wants to set some people free, free from fear. I mean fear that has just gripped you or held you back from, from, from stepping in and stepping out, maybe because of past hurts and wounds. I believe that the Lord wants to set some people free this morning from anxiety which is tied to fear. I believe the Lord wants to set people free this morning from depression that has caused you to just shrink back and just isolate yourself from God and from God's people. I believe the Lord wants to set some people free from scheme of loneliness, that the enemy's come and he's lied and he said they don't care for you, they don't love you, they don't want you, they don't need you, and today the Lord just wants to come and in those places speak the opposite word. You're welcomed, you're valued, you're cared for, you're a son and a daughter in the house of God. I believe some people are up against uh, some lions and bears of, of sickness and disease, maybe a, a, a medical report. I believe that God wants to touch and heal some people this morning in his presence as we step out in faith. Whatever it is that maybe is rising up and roaring over your life to keep you from stepping into the destiny that God has for you, I believe there's faith here this morning to be set free. So, Lord, thank you. And and, and, and team, as the team leads us, I just want to encourage you, come on, this, we're a family, and there's freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, and this is a judgment-free zone. No one knows what it is you're coming up to respond to. You're just responding to God and just saying, in that place, I'm seeking you, Lord, and I'm trusting you to heal me, to strengthen me, to set me free, to make me whole, and to get me going once again towards the destiny that you have for me in my life. Amen. Oh, I didn't think we could get to the end of it. Oh, amen. I would say amen that we finally got to the end of this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, everything, these lions and these bears that the Lord gave him, I think mm -hmm. the Lord gave him these is what he said. What? Loneliness? Depression? Sickness? Uh, what else? Anxiety? Fear? All very common things. But yet... Sin isn't mentioned one time. No. Not one time. And Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Is this not what St. Paul says? 
do you know a passage that says Jesus came to the world to save you from depression or anxiety or fear? The Lord encourages us not to fear, right? And the reason is because our eternal salvation is, is in his hands. You know, I'm exhausted, frankly. This is too hard to listen to. Well, it would be one thing if this was a podcast where a guy was just on his microphone and on his computer and he's just spewing this stuff. The problem is it is the misleading of countless number of sheep, uh, either A, in person, or B, online, where someone would hear this and it is completely and utterly toxic. And then there's a vast array of people whom they might not hear this guy, but they hear their pastor who He's says the, the same exact thing. same thing. Mm-hmm. And then there's another group of people who maybe they don't hear anything like this. Maybe what they hear every Sunday is orthodox teaching. But they hear this and they go, there's nothing wrong with it. Right, right. And they might say to their relatives or about their relatives, well, at least he's going to church, right? Uh, but if they're in a, in a church like this, um, that is worse than, I don't know, I, you know, I, I can't imagine uh, what I would say about a relative of mine who was, who was in a church like this. I would uh, fear for their eternal salvation, for sure. But, but of course, that's a giant I got to slay in my life. Well, you need to step up and stand up and sit down and get out, get out and get up and <laughs> take care of her. Oh, can, can I just, since when is amen a question? Amen? Amen? It, it, it's a firm assertion. This is true. Right. This is true. Uh, here he's, uh, throughout this sermon, amen has been a question. Amen? Amen? Well, are you glad this sermon is over? I can't. I, if I have to listen to one of these again, I will, that, that will be my giant. Having to listen to yet another heterodox slash heretical sermon. Exactly. This is exhausting. You've been listening to the Plucked Chicken Podcast with your hosts, Pastors John Bruss and Devin Kearns. To discover more, go to thepluckedchicken.com or stjohnlcmstopeka.org.